Well, we are six days away from Christmas, and I hope you guys are getting ready for it, and you're not too wiped out from all the Christmas parties yet, and that you're really enjoying the season. I want to encourage everybody here to come to Christmas Eve uh, services at 3 or 4.30 here in Mason, and I want to encourage you guys to be here, invite friends to that as well, because it's going to be just a great gathering together, and where we celebrate Christ, the newborn King. And I want to encourage you guys to do that. And then also, uh, some of you who have maybe some time in the afternoon, and you could go to one of the services, but then you can let Aaron know after service today, hey, I'd be willing to help watch nursery babies or help in the preschool that day. That would be a tremendous help to her as they get ready for uh, celebrating uh, Christmas as well. We'd love for Aaron to be able to come and worship in here too and not be two hours over there. So would you let her know, hey, look, we've, we've got an extra hour. We'd be willing to stay and help out, and we'd appreciate that. Well, we are in this series called The Best Gift Ever, and speaking of gifts, we gathered 130 gifts in two locations, Mason and Middletown, for the children in Mount Airy. And Sandy Downing from our church is our representative there, and she shared videos with us, uh, a few videos of what the kids experienced in that moment when they received the gifts. And I brought just one of those videos. I don't have time to show you all four of them, but let me just give you a quick joy alert, all right? The next minute and 22 seconds is just going to be total joy. So check this out. warned you. Isn't that great? And I say, yay God, and yay Axis Church, and yay the teachers and the kids that day, and and so thanks for giving uh, the best uh, Christmas that they could have this year. Now today I'm going to talk about the why of Christmas, and the why that God gave the gift, and and, uh, I mean, when you think about the motivation for giving, what do you think about? I think there are a few motivations for giving. Sometimes they're bad motivations. Uh, hopefully most of them are good. Sometimes people give out of, uh, out of guilt. You know, hey, I messed up, so I'm going to give you flowers to atone for that. Or, hey, uh, I'm going to give out of obligation. You knitted me a sweater, and so now I'm going to give you socks and uh, underwear or whatever. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that sometimes people do. But 
I think the best gifts are given when the motivation is out of love. And that was the motivation that God had when he gave the best gift ever. And you all know the verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave, gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish but will have eternal life. God gives because he loves you. Right where you are today, all of us in this room have sinned. Nobody is perfect. We broke the relationship with God. God pursued us then. He found a way to pay the price for our sin on the cross. He left the glory of heaven, took on human flesh, and came into our world. And that process is what we call, and what the Bible calls, the incarnation of Christ. And no, that is not a drink that you have for breakfast. That is Jesus coming to our world, the incarnation where he is in flesh, and he comes and dwells among us. And that idea of God coming into our world is all throughout the scripture. And it's, a, it's the Christmas story, but it's the story that's listed through the prophecies of the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well. Now, the most popular places to find uh, the idea of Christmas is in the Matthew story where it said that an angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said that your wife is going to bear a son, you're to name him Jesus, he'll save his people from their sins. Matthew is also where he describes the wise men coming, the magi coming from the east. And then the Luke 2 story, which is the one where we see uh, that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the entire world should be taxed, and Mary and Joseph also went to their own town, the town of Bethlehem, and there they had a son. Now, I think another gospel that describes this is the gospel of John, and I love John's account because John is really the disciple of love. He's called the disciple that Jesus loved. And so when he writes in both his gospel and also in his letters, by the way, John writes the gospel of John, but he also writes letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then he also wrote the book of Revelation. And in those books, he describes the coming of Christ into our world. And in John chapter 1, not 1st John, but John chapter 1, the gospel, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word is Jesus. That's who that is. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So right when John begins his gospel, he actually is talking about this idea of the incarnation, God coming into our world, the pre-existent, eternal God coming into our world, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And that is so important because the incarnation, the very fact that God would even come and dwell among us tells us a lot about the heart and motivation of God, doesn't it? It's about His love. God so loved the world that He came and gave. And so what I want to do today is just talk about God's love and what, what difference does that make. And by the way, when I talk about it being something that's meaningful, I'm not saying um, that it's just something sentimental. Like you get finished with Thanksgiving and you go, that was a nice holiday. I enjoyed that. That was some good turkey. Now let's get ready for Christmas. Can we do that? And let's just have good feelings and we love the music and all that stuff. I'm not talking about sort of a sentimental feeling. I'm talking about experiencing the transformational love of God, that God so loved the world that it actually makes a difference in your day-to-day -day life. And so here's what I, want you, what I want you to know about God's love. God loves us so much that tells us that love is initiated by God, initiated by God. 
Listen to 1 John. This is now the letter. We're going to stay camped out here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, most people in this room have probably dated somebody. Raise your hand if you've ever dated somebody real high. And, and uh, yeah, don't be shy. It's okay, guys. And if you're married, you probably dated, okay? And, and so when you're in that moment, you're dating each other, there's that moment of truth where you or they are going to say those three words we all long to hear. And that is, I love you. And so when they're going to say that, and you're not sure, should I say it? Should they say it? Will they say it? Will I say it? I don't really know because you might feel it. And by the way, I'm not talking about a junior high kind of, I love you, uh, just a quick, I'm not talking about a second date, I love you, where it's like, hey, that was good dominoes, and now I love you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this real moment of, I love you, and what's going to happen. And so you say it, and you muster up the courage, I love you, and, and you're waiting, and they respond, I love that you told me that. They're like, I don't think that's the same. It doesn't feel the same. Or, or maybe they say, um, I just say, I love you. And they say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Like, hey, hey, you're welcome. I mean, I guess that's it. You know, what are we going to do now? And, but, but I love that God has taken the pressure off here. Because God said it first. Not only did he say it first, he demonstrated it. The Bible says love comes from God. In other words, he initiated love. And now he waits for your response. Imagine this. Imagine that somebody that that you were in a relationship with says, I love you. And you say to them, eh, I don't really love you. And then they go, oh, okay. You just want to be friends. I, I get it. And you go, no, I really don't want to be your friend either. I mean, I don't, I don't love you. I don't like you. I don't want to be your friend. Nothing. And you're like, well, that, that hurts, you know? And God just first goes, I love you. And you know what we said to him? I don't even want to be your friend. You know how I know that? Because John chapter 1, the gospel of John, it actually says that the light, the word has come, become flesh, dwelt among us, and the light has come into the darkness. And that's Jesus coming in the darkness. And then the Bible says the darkness didn't even know him. They rejected him. In other words, we in the world all say, God, we don't love you. We don't even want to be your friend. And so God waits for our response. How will we respond? What will we respond with saying, God, your love is so transformed me that I love you in return. We want to love you back. God initiated love, and now we love him in return. Now, when you experience this love, the second thing I would say is that God's love gives us life. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That we might live through him. So much of our life today is lived in sound bites and highlight reels. And I wonder, is that really life? And one of the difficulties in talking about the idea of like enjoying life today or what is life today is that so much of it is seen in an online kind of a world. And, you know, here I am on vacation, or here I am at this concert, or here I am at the ball game, and, and you show yourself in the best places in the best light. How, how many of you uh, wake up first thing in the morning and you go, you know what I'm going to do? 
I haven't even taken a shower. I'm going to take a selfie. I'm putting, it on, I'm putting it on Facebook right now. Does anybody do that? No. Like, we're going to get it all made up, and we want to look good for the camera. None of us, you know, like, it's like, man, I, I've, got really, I've got really bad dandruff today. It's all over. I can't, like, I, I can't get rid of this. Can anybody help me out on this? We don't normally do that, but I like that I have a friend this week uh, that was showing some videos on Facebook, and it was about, I don't know, essential oils and some other things that she was talking about, and, 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 and uh, then she sent a fourth video. And the fourth video said, hey guys, just realize I had a filter on those videos. I don't actually look that good. Here's what I really look like, you know? And I thought that was cool because she's like, hey, let me just break down the facade for you. I don't actually look like this. This is what I really look like today. And I'm just wondering, do we try to present our life as if life is in some kind of a filtered kind of a way, as if this is real life? Guys, let me just tell you that real life is Jesus. I mean, that is it. That is it. There is no definition, in my view, of life outside of Christ. Everything else is existence. Jesus is life. The incarnation teaches us that because God came into the world, that, that he gave his very best to us. And the idea is not just that I want heaven, but that God actually transforms my life today. And when we think about life, a lot of times as a Christian, and sometimes we as Christian leaders are guilty of this, we'll tell people, listen, if you become a Christian, man, you're going to get heaven when you die, you're going to get hope for eternal life, you're going to get um, just this joy of knowing your sins are forgiven, and all that's true. But I think sometimes we miss out on the idea that Jesus wants to give you life right now, that he can give you a peace that passes understanding, a purpose in your existence. The Gospel of John Chapter 1, verse 4, again, 1 through 4 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. In other words, He was an agent in creation. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. Later in the Gospel of John, I didn't include this on the screen, John chapter 14, Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life. That, that's a... That's a definitive, isn't it? That's like, this is a definite. I am the life. You want to have life? You want to have peace that passes understanding? You want to have joy in your everyday? Realize that I am life, and I came to bring you life. Jesus is the author of life. I like what Dr. James Allen Francis describes the life of Jesus, and he says it this way, Jesus was born in an obscure village, the child of poor, a poor peasant couple, he worked in a carpentry shop until he was 30, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never visited a big city. He didn't write a book. He never held an office. He had no family. He owned no home. He did none of the things we think of when we think of greatness. And yet, 19 centuries have come and gone, and he is the central figure of the human race. And all the armies that have ever marched, and all the knaves that have ever sailed, and all the parliaments that have ever sat, and all the kings that have ever reigned, and all the presidents that have ever been elected put together have not affected life on this earth as much as this one man. I saw a bumper sticker this week that said, Jesus for President. I was like, I didn't even know he was running. I mean, a Jesus for president, that's cool. And yet, when you think about it, what an undermining 
of the leadership and lordship of Jesus. I mean, for president, like, like Jesus is the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of the presidents. And, and he is the leader of all. And when we submit our life to him, the Lord and leader of our life, what we realize is life is better so much in the depth of our relationships, the joy of our existence, the peace that passes understanding, the purpose that we get to live our life with. God is life, and when his love comes into our life, it truly gives us life. Here's another thing, and that is that God's love meets our deepest need. 1 John verse 4, verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10 says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our deepest need was that we needed a Savior, and God came into our world as an atoning sacrifice, and that word atone means to cover. So he came so that he could cover our sinfulness. He came to identify with our frailty. He came into our world to pay the price that we owed. And I just love the idea that in our deepest time of need, God shows up. We don't have a God who just sits back and says, oh, you're in a lot of trouble. I'm just going to wait and see how this pans out. No, God shows up in the middle of our need. And when they said, this is Jesus, you're to call him Emmanuel, that idea is the idea that God is with us, that he's with us in our mess, that he's with us in our distress, that he's with us in our problems. And that is why the incarnation of Christ changes everything because we have a God who shows up while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He initiated love. He entered into our pain and he was there for us. You know, at Christmas time, you think a lot about people that have gone before us. And so I think about my dad and, and how he was just there, how he would just be there to do the things that he needed to do. And I, I, I thought about one time when Lisa... Uh, we were camping with them about an hour and 15 minutes away from home. And Lisa had forgotten something. I don't remember the exact story now. Maybe it was some medication or what have you. And we had little kids there. And so dad knew we needed to take care of them. I, I can't remember. She wasn't feeling well or whatever. Dad said, I'll take care of it. He's like, and this was getting late at night. He drove all the way back to ho- the house, got that medication, drove all the way back. It was late at night and made sure she had it. He just was there, showed up in our mess. I remember when I had a kidney stone. By the way, I do not recommend that. That was not fun. And I had a kidney stone. I was sick all day long, all day on like, I think it was like a Saturday. And I was sick all day long. I'd been so like, you know, it's like throwing up. It's not good. And I just kept thinking, I could pass it, man. I could pass it. Let's go, you know. And, um, and my mom was like, Don, you need to take care of him. You need to go over there. Dad's like, what am I supposed to do? You know, he's like telling me he's not going to go, you know. And the mom was like, finally, you need to go. He's like, I can't, got it. You know, he's like, gonna, and she shows up. He's like, I'm going to pick you up, and you need to be ready. I was like, okay. So we go to the hospital. And I remember trying to convince the, 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 the doctor there, hey, I'm fine. I've got to preach tomorrow, you know, like it's some valiant, heroic thing. I've got to preach tomorrow, you know. And she's like, well, you could do that, but you'll be right back here before you have to preach because you're not going to be able to make it. And I remember waking up with the pain medication and sitting right over there in the corner of the hospital room. I, I wasn't able to preach for sure. My dad was writing out a message, writing out a message. He was going to do it for me, and he did. He delivered it. He just showed up in my mess. One of the things I love about God and his love, he shows up in our mess. You can't earn his love. You don't deserve his love. God just gave it. He says, you're a sinner that can't save yourself, so I showed up. I came to rescue you. I love you. I've initiated my love by giving my son God in the flesh, putting skin on so that 
you could li- he would live sinlessly, go to a cross, take your sin upon him, die to pay the cost for you. Lay that wrath upon him, and then he would die, resurrect from the grave, be raised again, and all of that would be done so that in your mess you would realize that God is with you. It's not sentimental. This isn't some kind of romantic love. It's sacrificial. God gave his very best to all of us. It is not a noun. It's a verb. It is love in action. He took care of your need in the middle of your mess. And let me just say that I also think that God's love is a love that similarly you can count on. Verse 15 of 1 John chapter uh, uh, 4 says, and I think it's chapter 4, they're not one. It says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. We know and rely on it. I mean, did, how many of you even knew that was in there? I read that verse, and I'm like, you read the scripture, and it just jumps out again. I was thinking the other day, this is like, this is getting close. I think I'm 29 years in ministry, 29 years of Christmas sermons. I remember when I first started preaching, I was emulating some guys that I really admired, and they were all great storytellers. And one of them named Dan was such a great storyteller. He was, like so, he was so Southern. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. And I was from North Carolina. So I was like, I'll be just like that guy. And when I preached, I would have like a little note card, and it would have a couple scriptures on it and a whole lot of stories. And then I became a senior pastor. And, you know, as a youth pastor, I could get away with that because I only preached like once every one. I had a lot of good stories. But when I ran out of stories, I was like, what am I going to talk about, you know? And like every week, I got to do this every week, creative new stuff. And like, you know, and God's like, don't worry about it because you got a lot of messes and a lot of stories to tell. You know, it would be fine. But anyway, you're like, what am I going to tell? And then you get into the scripture, in particular like Christmas time. You're like, 30 years of Christmas messages. Think, how do you put a new spin on this? And you don't have to. You read the scripture again and a phrase just like that, that God's love you can know and rely on. And you go, there it is. Another new take on a story that is so powerful because you can rely on God's love. You can know it. And what that tells me is that in, when you are in the middle of fear, God's love is reliable. In fact, 1 John chapter 4, the same passage we're reading, says no, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. So you can rely on that. You can rely on that love when you feel alone or abandoned. Maybe you have a broken relationship or maybe a spouse that checked out, but you can rely on God's love. You can know it. Or you got kids who grew up and they got married or they moved away and you realize, man, I feel kind of lost without that. And you say, no, you got a love of God that you can rely on. Or maybe you have a tragedy that happens in your life, and the holidays come around, and you have that empty seat, and you say, man, I really wish they were back. And when you think that, you know that you have a love from God that you can know and rely on. Or maybe you're getting older, and you're scared about it, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know, maybe this is my last holiday. Maybe this is my last holiday, but you have a love from God that you know you can rely on. I was talking to mom the other day because uh, we had our Christmas yesterday. It was a big, like there's like 40 people. It's just growing. I'm like, either people, they're like people invite people in. They bring friends with them like, hey, you get gifts. Come. And then like, and people keep having babies. So it's like growing all the time. It's like five or six years ago. I was like, guys, we all bought for everybody. It's like, this is getting ridiculous. Like I love giving everybody. But man, can we like, 
like maybe we'll draw names, you know? And uh, so everybody else draws names. You want two gifts? Put your name in the hat twice. Want one gift? Put your name in a hat once. You'll get one, give one. It's pretty easy, right? Except for mom. And, and not only, I told her yesterday, I'm like, mom, it's so impressive. Not only do you feed us lunch every weekend, but you also prepare the house for Christmas. She's got like seven Christmas trees, and she puts them all up. And she, we say, don't drag them down the stairs. She drags them down the stairs anyway. She's 84, dragging the trees down the stairs. And like she puts them all up, and then she gets the decorations on. She's like, it's just good. It's important to me. And then she makes the meal, and she gets everything ready. And I mean, I don't have to prepare anything. I just got to prep myself, you know, like. I'm almost out of hair gel. Oh, gosh. You know, like, what are you going to do? You know, like, you know, I'm not doing anything. I buy the gifts for the people that I had on my list, and that's about it. And uh, she showed me her list of things she bought. Over 40, she buys for everybody. Over 40 people, multiple gifts. She has them on four or five pages of Word documents, all typed out. Done, done, done. She's got it written in the margin. Done, 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 done. And, and all this. I'm like, it's so impressive. So I asked her, I said, well, man, it's so good, Mom. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for doing it with such grace. You know, you always seem pleasant about it. And she goes, you know what? I just determined a few years ago that I don't know what Christmas is going to be my last Christmas. And so I want to make sure that I give my best. That is a love you can count on. And why does she have that attitude? Because she knows that she has a God that she knows and can rely on as well. So God loves you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, you can know and God's, God's love, you can rely on it. If you fail, if you mess up, if you have challenges, or if you have been through a hard time, you can rely on God's love. I, I, of course, we've all been moved by the stories of what has happened in Mayfield, Kentucky, where when the tornadoes came through, 74 confirmed people passed away, maybe more now, and then also uh, people that they have not found or that have been displaced. And I was really moved this week when just uh, I saw a video that I did not expect, and it was about a guy um, named Jordan Bays from Mayfield, Kentucky, and I want you to watch this video with me. so moved by that story because here's Jordan. Jordan comes into his home. He, he's interviewed. He didn't know his sister was videotaping. He just sat down at the piano and started to play. The song he was playing was a Bill Gaither song. There's just something about that name. There's just something about the name Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. And that's what he was playing in that video. And, 
and she captures it. And so people start to interview him and say, what were you thinking? And he's a real southern Kentucky guy. And he says, I, I just, I, when the storm hit, I went down in the basement with my kiddos. And she said, well, what do you think? I mean, here you are playing this piano. And what, what were you thinking? And he said, look, I, I've got it good, he said. He said, I've got, I've got my family, a lot of people around this community, 12 people in just my neighborhood died during this storm. He said, we've got it so good, We're, our, our health is good. And he said, I just have faith in God. And, and, and he, he said, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus. And, and he just gives me the ability to, to stay uh, faithful during this storm and to stay uh, positive during this storm. And, and, and then she asks him again, she presses the question, and he says, I don't want to sound too preachy, he said. He said, but I just wish that everybody had a relationship with Jesus so that when these things happen, they have the ability to, to make it through the storm. And I love that idea because what he's saying is, I can rely on God's love. I can know that God loves me, and that love is transformational. And Jordan is a good representation of when the storm of life hits, you know and you can trust that God loves you. And by the way, guys, that is more than a sentimental love. That is a transformational, sacrificial love that should change our day-to-day. And one of the places it should change it is in how we love other people. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. In other words, he said God loved you so much that he gave his best. Now it should impact you and how you love somebody else. It should impact the couple that's having challenges in their marriage. It should impact the parents who are struggling raising their kids. It should impact you when you have a roadblock in a relationship with an in-law or a friend of the past. The Bible says, God says, listen, just as God loved us, we also ought to love one another. So can I ask you this Christmas, just as God gave to us, how are you loving people in your circle of influence? How are you loving people? How are you understanding God's love and then demonstrating that to other people? And I just want to give you a couple questions as we kind of close out today and we think about God's love. The first question is this, have you embraced and do you know and rely on God's love personally? And if you've never done that, you could have an opportunity to tell us, hey, I would love to come into a relationship with God. I want to accept Christ as my Savior. I want to repent of my sin. I want to be baptized into Christ. Can we do that? Maybe some of you even want to do that on Christmas Eve this year. And wouldn't it be great if you just said, I want to. I, I've, I've been kind of floundering. And Stephen, I, I, I want to know God's love. I want to have something to rely on in the middle of storms in my life. So have you done that? And the second thing is, is there any person in your life this year that you need to reconcile with? You think about, what did God do for you? What kind of a mess were you when God came? I mean, are you perfect? Do you have it all together? No. But God, in the middle of your mess, said, I love you even then. You don't have to do anything. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. I just love you right where you are. That's the great love of God. But why is our love so conditional for people? No, you did this, or no, 
I feel this, or no, you're not perfect, or no, I want somebody else, or no, no. Why don't you just say, hey, you know what? We're a couple of imperfect people. Let's just love each other imperfectly. Let's just care for one another in the middle of the mess. Let's do what John writes, that friends, since God so loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. Wouldn't that be the greatest gift of all that you could give this year? So I want to encourage you with that. Embrace the love of God and demonstrate that to others. God, we love you so much. We thank you so much for your son Jesus who died for us. God, we thank you for the model of Jesus who who gave his very best without question. I mean, just, just said while we were still sinners, I'm coming for you. I'm willing to restore the broken relationship. I'm willing to heal the heart. I'm willing to give you hope for eternity and life for now and and forever. And so God, help us to embrace the love of God. Help us to know and rely on it, even if we're afraid or abandoned or, or struggling or facing hardship. And then God, help us to demonstrate that love to others, that they would know through an encouraging word, through a a letter that needs to be written, through a forgiveness that needs to be offered, through a hug that needs to happen, that God, we would be willing to say that just as you loved us in the mess, we're willing to love each other in the middle of our mess. And God, we thank you for that example. Help us to be like Jesus, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, that powerful name. Let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms houses in Mayfield, Kentucky and other places. They'll all pass away. There's just something about that name. Thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.